Hello, and welcome to the seventh episode of The Financial Incline. I'm your host, John Bovard. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Rich Bainey. Rich recently retired as chairman of the board for EW Scripps, the company which he is the former president and CEO. Rich started with Scripps back in 1985 and progressed through the corporate ranks to run the company during his eight-year tenure as CEO. In this episode, we discuss Rich's career all the way back to the age of six when he first started receiving a paycheck. Rich explains the struggles he had in college and the slow start to his career. He walks us through the unconventional path that he took to become CEO and shares the characteristics that led to his success. We also discuss the challenges he faced managing his assets with so much of his wealth dependent on the stock price of one company. Rich shares the tough obligations that are required of a public company CEO during a crisis. We also discuss how Rich incorporated his faith into his career to help guide his decisions and conversations with those he worked with. Lastly, we discuss the causes and passions that Rich is involved with today. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Financial Incline with John Bovard. John is the owner of Incline Wealth Advisors. All opinions expressed by John or any podcast guest are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Incline Wealth Advisors. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Incline Wealth Advisors may maintain positions in securities discussed on this podcast. Uh, Rich, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for sitting down. And for uh, some of the people listening or watching the video, uh, would you if you wouldn't mind sharing just a little bit of your, your background and kind of tell us who you are. Sure. My name is Rich Bainey, and I'm, uh, uh, as of just a couple weeks ago, I was chairman of the EW Scripps company based in Cincinnati and had been CEO prior to that and had been with the company since 1985, starting as a newspaper reporter. Uh, my professional history, I take it back quite a bit further. I have had a regular paycheck since the summer after the sixth grade. Uh, have always worked, uh, worked all the, all the time I was in high school, always worked all through college, have done everything imaginable mm -hmm. uh, that young people do, yeah. uh, but always wanted to be a newspaper reporter, wanted to be in the news business. And uh, so when I got 18, 19, heading into college, that's the direction I took. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that's fantastic. So that, that kind of leads me to, you know, one of the, the first questions that I like to, you know, to ask close guests is, what is your earliest memory of money? My earliest memory of money? Um, I have this strange memory, and I, I, I can't remember why, but my parents asked me how much I had saved, and I had a dollar eighteen saved <laughs> uh, in some kind of bank. And yeah. I can't remember what I was saving up for, Okay, but I was probably, um, I was probably five years old or so. Wow. And somehow I'd gotten yeah. probably taken change out of the out of the couch. Right. Uh, right. I accumulated a buck eighteen towards mm -hmm. some goal. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well that that's fantastic. So so sixth grade is, yeah. is kind of your earliest earliest work experience. Um, and as me being a father of soon to be mm -hmm. five children, um, my oldest is ten, I try yeah, to introduce thank yeah. you. I appreciate that. Uh, but I try to introduce them to money and yeah. you know money habits. So, was there anything that those early experiences of work, um, you know, taught you, or anything you learned at an early age that maybe led to some of your later success? 
Yeah, I, I think I learned, uh, uh, well, one, I learned just what workplace, what workplaces are like. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you grow up in a family, you go to a school, uh, and most school experiences you tend to be, most kids are kind of like you, right. typically. Mm -hmm. But when you start working, you work with people from such different backgrounds. Right. And as a teenager, you start working young. Quite often, you're working, you're working with older people who are either further along in some career or are very frustrated. Right. And in some cases, they're stuck working with people, like, kids like you. And, um, yeah. but I just thought that was, uh, I, I really like working more than anything. I love the diversity of workplaces and the personalities and mm -hmm. the successes and the failures. And um, I, just, I think I just have loved every place I've worked mm -hmm. over, uh, what, 55, 56 years or whatever. Right, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they always talk about company culture and surrounding yourself yeah. with, um, oh, with successful people and how important yeah. that, that plays. So, um, so we, I know you transitioned and you, um, graduated from NKU with yep. a communications and journalism <clears throat> degree and then kind of hit the ground running and you were just pegged for immediate success, right? <laughs> that was, that yeah. was how the uh, career <clears throat> Yeah, went. not exactly. <laughs> uh, I wanted to start with it. It took me approaching eight years to get through NKU. Okay. Um, I uh, flunked a out. A couple of senior tours. Yep. Flunked yeah. out several times. Wow. Uh, had a lot of the issues that young men have. Mm-hmm. And uh, finally, in my early 20s, uh, decided I needed to get back on track. Yeah. Uh, working as a, at one point, as a custodian at a YMCA. Wow. And thinking, I got to dig out of this hole. Right. Uh, which I then came back to, I tried to get into school several places, and I had left messes a couple places. Mm -hmm. And uh, came back to NKU uh, on my knees. And just said, I really, I need one more shot. I'd like to be a newspaper reporter. You need to have a bachelor's degree to do that. Okay. And a young admissions officer, uh, I think, just believed me that I had, I had grown up this time, mm -hmm. and allowed me to come back to school under some agreement. I had to hit targets. I had to repeat right. all the Fs that wow. I left behind. Mm -hmm. And and it, but then it it clicked. Yeah. So I I repeated many, many classes, and um, as soon as I got to whatever that threshold was that you needed to graduate hours and a GPA, mm -hmm. I applied for graduation and went to work as a newspaper reporter that night, the night I graduated. Wow. wow. Yeah, no summer hiking in Europe, none <laughs> no, of that kind of no garbage. No, oh my gosh. <laughs> right. No, I went to work, uh, I went to work that night. Mm -hmm. Well, that's great. So. Sounds like you had somewhat of a you know rock bottom moment there. Where yeah. um, was there? So did you have at that point in your life where you know, you're going back to NKU? Did you have any sort of uh, mentors, or was it was it kind of just a hard look in the mirror? And uh, it was it was uh, very much a hard look in the mirror, mm -hmm. and uh, we could talk about that later. I had very few few mentors. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's because of my age. Um, mentoring is pretty hot these days. Right, right. But I did have a number of very close friends uh, in the same business. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we've been together for many, many years and we've helped guide each other's careers, but uh, I was never really part of a formal or informal mentoring system. Okay, yeah. Made it up as I, as I went. Mm -hmm. 
Well, great. So I've um, so I know one of the places you started in your career was uh, you know a, a community press. Yeah. Um, yeah. Weekly I'm, newspaper. I'm familiar with Western Hills Press, Delhi Press, yeah. checking yeah. the uh, local high school scores, uh, <clears throat> things like that. So what were those early years um, post graduation? like for you and what were some of the things you learned? Uh, absolutely fantastic and um, I've always liked uh, interesting environments and mm-hmm. have been very risk tolerant yeah so I know some of my friends thought it's kind of a you know it's small and it's family-owned and you know why would you do that but right. uh, those papers were owned by an entrepreneur who was just really forward-thinking we did market research we brought in wow. early computer and data systems mm-hmm uh, created like a back office to run hundreds of newspapers off wow. of. Wow. Uh, just, just great. And this was early 80s. This is early right? 80s. Yeah. yeah. So we brought yeah. in the first computer yeah. system wow. into many of these newspapers that had been small family owned mm-hmm. uh, for generations. Yeah. Until um, we acquired. And then also, you know, I worked also on the reporting side, which is just um, fantastic. Great thing about being a journalist is that you, you know most people sort of live their lives in a fairly narrow band of society. Right. And as a journalist, you see the incredible highs in our culture, the successes, the mm-hmm. great things that go on, and you see the desperate, ugly, unbelievable lows right. uh, of right. things in our community. And you see them both. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have just always cherished that uh, that experience of really seeing the full range. Right, right. Yeah, you can you can get a, a true pulse, um, you know, on, on what's going on around you, and yeah, yeah. So that so that's great. So then, 1988, you joined Scripps. Yeah. So I had worked, and then I jumped to the the post. Okay. And I, uh, my educational background, my math strength, uh, my, my academic strength, if there is one, was probably mm-hmm. math. Okay. So I enjoyed economics. Business stuff. Mm-hmm. So my reporting career migrated fairly quickly to the business side. So I covered okay. the capital markets. Yeah, uh, I covered public companies and trends. I covered the uh, some of the savings and loan crisis mm-hmm. uh, in this area. Right. Um, covered consolidations in industries. And yeah. So that was really great. Right. Um, so I was one of the reporters. I'd be on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. Wow. Uh, covering there and. Then I got a call from Scripps, and it was a fairly strange call. Very large, very private company. Mm-hmm. And quickly they said, look, we're going to take the company public. And uh, you you cover Wall Street. You understand right. the markets. Would you consider joining the corporate staff as we go through this IPO and to create a public company? Right. So that's why I came to Scripps. I thought, well, that sounds, you know, maybe three years of that, and then I'll go back to the field somewhere as a reporter. and. One thing after another happened. I just never left. Right, right. Yeah, and obviously you've climbed, you know, climbed the corporate ladder mm-hmm. per se, and and got all the way up to the uh, CEO position. Yeah. Um, I know you said you ran that for about seven or eight years, mm-hmm. um, heading the company. So there was obviously steps along the all along the way um, yeah. a, as you're progressing through your career. So what was some of the the things that you did? in mm-hmm. your career that you think led to you one day getting that position as, as CEO? Uh, a couple things. Um, one, um, I like change. 
Mm -hmm. And uh, any, anybody who works and works with people know that there are many people who do not like change. Right. Don't like it at all. Yeah. Just genetically, they don't like it. <laughs> and, um, and those of us who do love change and chaos and, you know, disruption, mm -hmm. we have to learn that uh, not everybody's like us. Right. And you have to learn to work with people who really don't like change that much. So I, I, I had that. That was very beneficial. I think I've been a very good learner, a lifelong learner. Yeah. Uh, so I've, I've changed, I've adapted, I've gone home at night and thought, I guess I got to figure this out because right. I volunteered to do it. So yes. I guess I have to do it. Uh, and then, you know, scripts, I was just so blessed to work for an organization that uh, offered opportunity to everybody. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you never had an ordained class. I, I was never worked in anywhere young at scripts, so I thought, I can already see who's the next CEO or who's right. next manager because they're in this special secret training program. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, Scripps has always had a very open architecture. Yeah. And as we always say, if you're entrepreneurial, build your own brand, you can go from worst to first. Wow. At Scripps, yeah. and I'm literally a great example of that, as was my predecessor mm -hmm. and good friend, uh, CEO Ken Lowe. Yeah. Both of us <clears throat> were young and, you know, managers at, on the corporate level, and nobody, 20 years earlier would have said, oh, those, those feet, they're going to run the company yeah. someday. <laughs> You've got to be kidding. Right. There's right. no way. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, script, I, I hope there are other companies like that. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> during my time, I've always fought very hard mm -hmm. for maintaining that open architecture. Mm -hmm. Remembering that people are very different at 30 than they were at 20. They're different at 40 than 30. Right. And everybody deserves <clears throat> opportunities to um, to rebuild and renew yes. and, and to shine. Right. Um, and I think that's what has made Scripps such a great company, and I took full advantage of that. Mm -hmm. So I, I, you know, I worked on the IPO. I did a lot of special project work at Scripps. Um, I worked at the Teamster strike in Pittsburgh okay. <clears throat> for a yeah. while at a big newspaper. That was wild. Mm -hmm. I worked on the West Coast as we were building cable TV systems. Yeah. Um, so I, I often uh, would sit in a meeting and I would take the assignment other people didn't want. Mm -hmm. And uh, I really built my career that way. Okay. Taking yeah. on other stuff. Solving <coughs> problems. Yeah. Solving the big problems, yeah. And then I just mentioned Ken Lowe. He came out of radio. Mm -hmm. I came out of newspapers. We worked a lot together. And he one day walked down the halls, not far from here, and said, you know, I got an idea for a cable network about homes and gardens. Uh, which I thought was hilarious, right. as we used to say, Ken, 24 hours a day, grass grown and paint drying. I mean, that, that sounds like some great television. Right, right. Uh, but he had a sensational plan. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Yeah. And so I bet my career on my friend's idea. And, wow. Uh, was willing to uh, go to the board to help push, and um, you know, and we launched Home Garden Television. little messed up thing in New York called the Food Network. Wow. It was losing money. It was very unsuccessful. Mm -hmm. But uh, Ken's original plan was very uh, categories, right. homes, gardens, food, mm -hmm. advertisers that wanted that audience. It was a yeah. great plan. Right. So we did that and then bought and built other things. Um, and we were very focused on that for about 13, 14 years. And then the board 
uh, came to us and said, would you all run the company? Wow. wow. And people were stunned. <laughs> and we were stunned. <laughs> right. So he became CEO. I was executive vice president and okay. chief operating officer. We ran the company together for till 2007. And then we went to the board and said, you know, we really should create two public companies, mm -hmm. which we did in 2008. Scripps okay. Networks and Scripps. Right, right. So that's that's amazing to me. And you know, one of the things that, that you know, being a business owner, that I look at is having an idea and then executing on yes. that. Yes. So that is that's so crucial uh, to have that skill. And it sounds like you and Ken had to follow through and to execute on things. And hired a lot of great people. Mm-hmm. Had done it before, and, right? You know, and could execute. And, um, yeah, and I, th I think uh, understanding that none of us can do it all, right? Skill set wise, we can't do it all. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think, you know, and or certainly, I think I've always been confident enough to know what I do well and what I don't. Right. Uh, which includes, I'm not very good at steady state businesses. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a, I'm a. A very good transition manager, right? Um, but if you got a big, successful, steady-state company that does its thing, and how can we try to get revenues instead of being up five percent to five and a half? Right. I will mess that up. <laughs> um, but things mm -hmm. that are in transition, and right. if there's chaos in the streets and there's opportunity, that's that's where I've done well. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great. And was there ever a moment as your you know nose to the grindstone? <laughs> putting in the long hours throughout your career where you thought, okay, this there was some sort of tipping point where, okay, yeah, I can really do this. I can be CEO. Um, or was it you know, kind of just one day at a time and um, took you by surprise? I think it was one day at a time. I, I did not, uh, you know, my, I didn't have written on a piece of paper in an envelope, I want to be CEO someday. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think I've ever, I haven't asked for many of the jobs I've had really of came my way. Mm -hmm. uh, almost never negotiated for compensation. I said, what do wow. you think is fair? And, and then I have always tried to make sure I was worth a lot more than they were paying me. Mm -hmm. you know, I've always been terrified that there was a meeting going on where people were saying, I'm not sure he's, you know, I'm not sure he's worth what we're paying yeah. him. We yeah. like him, but I just wanted to make sure all the meetings were, he's a bargain. Right. You know, and right. We're, we're blessed to have him. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's always the way I've kind of. So what type of what type of things did that lead you to do? Obviously, kind of going above and beyond what was asked. Yeah, I w worked very hard mm -hmm. uh, and you know, worked long hours and traveled and, uh, like I said, took on assignments that other people weren't terribly interested in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I talked to a lot of young people about work-life balance, right. and uh, I I did not practice it. Because I was young, and and my wife and I both had jobs. She was a newspaper reporter as well. Okay. So we uh, our off days were rarely the same. Mm -hmm. Our vacations times were rarely the same. The first five to ten years we were married, uh, we both just sort of worked, right? And did stuff together, but you know, it was it was uh, on the personal side, it was costly. Things we just didn't do, right? But um, no, I just uh, like I said, I enjoy change, opportunity, and I've been very risk tolerant. Mm -hmm. 
I was often willing to step out of something I was doing and taking a risk on doing something different. Right. Yeah. Well, that that's fantastic. So the I know when we touched on it, you did you did a lot of traveling throughout your career, and you know, with a wife and kids, that can be yeah. somewhat difficult. So were there certain routines or ways that you tried to keep in touch with your, your family yeah. as you're on the road that you thought were successful or that worked out? Yeah, well, one, I, um, I put any other interests of mine own personally aside. Mm-hmm. So I, I had my, my kids and family and I had my job. So I didn't do any, uh, wanna, I don't play golf. Golf, yeah, golf, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't look good in the clothes, you know, so I don't play <laughs> golf. Fishing uh, or anything like that? I love to fish, but only fished with the kids. Right. So I, I traveled, but I tried to be, I, tra- I traveled in and out of Cincinnati in the office as much as I could, so I was home as much as I could. Mm-hmm. But about every couple years, I'd have this breakdown and cry and tell the kids, I am so sorry I'm gone, you know, and they would laugh at me and say, you do great, you know, and I'd just be yeah. blubbering and they'd say, no, Dad, you do a great job, you know. Yeah, it right. was. Uh, um, and still today, they're they're adults with families, and they say, yeah. "No, no, no, you you managed it really, really well." Mm-hmm. And we had opportunities to go places with you that we wouldn't have had. So right. I guess it worked out. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's amazing. I mean, kids can be independent, and they obviously want you around, but you, there's yeah. ways where you can you know, still be present, yeah. even if you're not physically there. Yeah. So, um, so being CEO. Um, and obviously throughout your career, we talked kind of prior to this, you said you had a couple financial ups and downs oh, yeah. um, throughout your career. Um, you know, obviously you're running a publicly traded company and yeah. there could be a lot of pressure uh, mm-hmm. from shareholders, um, mm-hmm. you know, kind of under the microscope there. So were there some yeah. times in your career where you know, financially you really were, were starting to, to feel worried or? Oh, yeah. Uh, I grew up in a uh, lower middle class family, so my personal expectations were not, you know, great. Mm-hmm. Were not huge. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I didn't grow up with a lot, so I didn't expect a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, and I worked for a public company. I I believe that uh, the executives um, should be, you know, right there alongside the owners. And so most of our compensation was in equity of some kind. Yeah, right. And that means over a period, um, and usually not for because of things we did, mm-hmm. but um, you know things would happen in the market, and it would look like you lost most of the what you, <laughs> most of the money you'd made. Right. Uh, over the years, mm-hmm. 2008 was the worst. I just don't think people realize how close we were to a, a real financial collapse. Mm-hmm. And um, we were fairly healthy, had very little debt, but right. you know, banks that you do business with are out of business, they're gone. Mm-hmm. And we had meetings every Saturday morning, very close to where we're sitting today, to look at our cash position, just to right. make sure. You know, I went to the vault and read the books from the Depression Wow. I thought, yeah. if we, what if we have to run this thing on 50% of revenue for some years? How mm-hmm. do you, one, how do you do what you need to do, and how do you take care of thousands of families? Right. You know, and so it was really, um, 
And at the same time, I've lost pretty much everything. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, had to had to stomach that that part yeah. of it. Yeah. Yeah. But then coming out of two thousand and eight and nine, two things happened. Um, one, not good, but you saw that many people, many managers, and many professionals are not sturdy enough to go through a period like that. Mm-hmm. They just couldn't. They right. just couldn't handle it. Right. And I'd like to say, well, you're, well, did you have the counseling service? Did you have support? Well, I, I think we did. But we were also in a, in a crisis. Mm-hmm. And that's very hard on some people. Right. And so, you know, kind of as we started to come out of that, we started to look and say, where is there opportunity in this? And I think just being part of the nature of the way Scripps works, we found fantastic opportunities mm-hmm. coming out of the financial crisis. We were a better company for having been through that. Mm-hmm. And my management team, I mean, you know, the way they worked together and endured and took body blows and right. took personal blows, mm-hmm. uh, including, uh, you know, I asked most of the managers to give up an awful lot of their compensation yeah. for a period. Right. Um, you know, I just think, I think the company is today much better for what we went through in eight and nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we took advantage of a lot of opportunities and Scripps has done really well. Yeah, right. Yeah, but yeah, you can't, when, when much of what you have earned, you, you have is yes. on paper, sometimes yeah. you just gotta turn your head mm-hmm. and say, I, I, I'll do the right things here. Right. I believe in the structure of the, the market and the system, and we'll work our way back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and that's, um, did you see any parallels? So this past year, we just had, you know, spring of 2020. Um, sure. Some people were comparing that to yeah. 08 or even the depression. Uh, what we see, it was obviously much quicker, um, not quite yeah. as short-lived due to a lot of, um, the Federal Reserve took a lot of action um, yep. to make sure everything was stable there. So, um, did you see any any parallels from what we saw this past year? Yes, two thousand eight. Uh, a, a lot. Yeah, I mean, you had a, all businesses had a sudden whack to revenue, right? You know, last spring, and you know, shock to the system. How do we operate? What happens? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, very very similar. Uh, Effect on people is more lingering in this one probably mm-hmm. because it's it's so different than eight and nine where it's so personal, right? And you don't know what people's health, you know, the, yes, all that kind of stuff, right? And then you have you had an eight and nine, and I've worked through nine eleven as well as a senior executive, mm-hmm. um, which had its own kind of interesting twists and turns, and right? Convulsions, but yeah, this is. Um, and now you have the politics right. uh, that are more polarizing and um, sad and scary than mm-hmm. probably I've ever been through in my career, mm-hmm. which adds a twist to everything runs through a political lens at the moment. Right. So yeah, a lot of a lot of parallels. Mm-hmm. One thing I would tell I spoke at a business school not long ago, and somebody asked me what was it like in recent years for a once in a, in a career crisis. I said, well, actually. Um, I was either you know number one or two in a company through 9/11, mm-hmm. eight and nine, and now uh, COVID. That's right. three in 20 years. That is. So I said I'm not sure what a once in a Let's, career yeah, right 
by God, is it going to be worse than this if it's <laughs> once in a career? Because I've been through three of these in mm -hmm. 20. Right. And so you all should just get ready because weird things will happen. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, just to touch on it briefly since you, you brought it up, I mean, is there any, when you look at the kind of the current state of, of media, um, is there anything that you find unfortunate or if there's anything you could yeah. change? Um, yeah, this is probably, like I said, I'm 65. Um, through much of my career, especially as CEO, I've been a very aggressive advocate for free speech mm -hmm. and have worked for many years on press freedoms and individual free speech. Yeah. And, you know, you're, you're at a point in human history when free speech is freer than it's ever been. There's no comparison in human history mm -hmm. to free speech that we have today. I was going to say we enjoy today, but many people who listen to this probably say, you're crazy if you mm -hmm. think this is a period Enjoyable. of joy. Yeah. So I, I, and I'm doing a lot of speaking to groups now about, hey, hey, Rich, this is the world you helped create. Mm -hmm. Now, what do you think? Yeah. And, uh, and I don't know. Right. Uh, I, I'm not sure what to think. I would like to think we're just still in the Wild West period and the free market will regulate itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, because clearly this wide open, bare naked free speech that's brought about by the internet and the digital revolution yeah. um, has had some kind of ugly sides to it. Mm -hmm. Now, so I say, would you go back to the days when, uh, it, it's hard to imagine today, but I worked as an editor at a time when, if you had a new product mm -hmm. or you had a project in some city and you wanted people to know about it, you had to come see me. Right. I was the gatekeeper. Yes. And there were only right. a few gatekeepers in every city mm -hmm. and in the country. And people now call that the good old days. Um, I thought uh, distributed free speech was certainly a better option. And when social media came along, the yeah. idea that anybody on earth could have an identity Mm -hmm. in a direct relationship with somebody in some other place in the world it's just incredible right. unbelievable right and I still think it's fantastic mm -hmm. but uh, certainly we're also seeing the the bumps and the bruises and the right and far worse than that through what we're going through in social media and mm -hmm. wide open free speech today right on balance I still stick in with no prior restraint, wide open free speech, mm -hmm. I think is the best thing. Right. But um, we'll see how it unfolds yes. over the years to come. Yeah. Yeah, it should be interesting to see, um, like you said, what the future holds and if some of the tech platforms get broken up um, yeah. that, that can distribute. Well, I mean, the happened to the Bells, and right? And it, mm -hmm. it's, it's happened before. Right. Right. I don't yeah. really know. I, a lot of places I speak, I, you know, I, Especially in some settings, it's what do you think of Facebook and Twitter and others censoring? Yeah. Well, these one, these are private businesses. Correct. Most of the crowd that I'm speaking to believes in the free enterprise system mm -hmm. and not much government intervention. Right. And I say, well, these are privately owned businesses. Uh, it's not censorship, right? They can control their, just like many of us mm -hmm. have controls over settings. Right. Um, in their shoes, I'm not sure I would. I would probably let people say what they want to say. Mm -hmm. But the law is not clear on that today right. and what the liability is. You're just in a very crazy period. Mm -hmm. uh, 
and we'll see how it unfolds in the coming years. Yeah, right. But I still, I, 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 I still, I, so I'll give you a quick example. Mm -hmm. About 10 years ago, I went on, I found all the rich Baneys I could. Okay. Thanks to the internet. Yes. And I now, through primarily through social media, I have relationships with them. <laughs> and one of them was running a, a U.S. weather station in Antarctica. Wow. And I found him because I occasionally would get emails to him, mm -hmm. and he would get some that, that I got. He's about wow. my age. His name is Rich Baney. Mm -hmm. uh, he's now retiring. Uh, I could have never. It was just a <laughs> sort of a opportunity to see how this works. Right. You know, see what right. Doing. So it was great. Yeah, that is. So to, to jump back to some of the financial side of things, so as you're you know, getting promotions and, and yeah. working throughout your career, uh, there's a there's a term you know lifestyle creep, so there's uh -huh. you know there's people yep. that yeah. uh, you know they're making more. Well, now I can spend more. If I get a five percent raise, that's you know a new car, or yeah. that's a bigger house, yeah. or that's a yeah. country club. So how did you, as you're progressing through your career financially, how did you manage some of that you know that lifestyle yeah, sure. creep? Yeah, sure. Uh, uh, lived comfortably uh, below our means. And that's not to say we had these big battles over the kitchen table on, well, no, we can't afford to do that. Right. Um, I think we did it somewhat naturally. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, I've been the CEO of a company. I've been paid much more than, than I was worth or what you know, a human should be paid. And, and as CEO compensation goes, I was always very aggressive on keeping ours down mm -hmm. compared to what you see in the market today. Yeah. But... Um, yeah, we always, uh, you know, managed well and never got a, didn't get ahead of ourselves. Um, made sure my children went to public schools. Mm -hmm. Incredible supporter of public education and public universities. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, we we just uh, we were careful and tried to be, um, you know, and be as generous as we could. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's fantastic. And um, so one of the things that I help my clients through financially is yeah. to obtain financial freedom. And that can yes. mean different things for different people. Uh, for some people, it's a certain dollar amount in their bank mm -hmm. account. Uh, for others, it's you know passive income, rental properties that pay and yeah. can replace their paycheck. Mm -hmm. So uh, what does you know financial freedom mean to you? And was there a, a point in time where you said, okay, I think now I yeah, can sure. I have the freedom? Uh, interesting. We, we since I was in a public company, and most of my compensation came that way, so there was mm -hmm. very little opportunity for diversification. Right. So every time I had a chance, uh, or had cash, I could put in some other vehicle. And I've I've worked with a group of people. We've all been together a long time and kind of invest together in mm -hmm. various things. But mm -hmm. we started every time we had an opportunity, took money out of public equities and put it somewhere else just because we yeah. needed diversification. Right. So I'd, I'd say uh, having very modest expectations, uh, I probably reached true financial freedom uh, you know, some time ago, I guess. <laughs> right. Because um, again, I'd not, uh, you know, we own, we own a home and uh, I own a uh, farm property, mm -hmm. but um, you know, have never lived lavishly. I'd rather pick up a truck Try to just uh, keep it focused on the experience and less right. on borrowing money to uh, 
not having something that's going to sit in the garage and right. depreciate or right. So mm -hmm. probably a little conservative. Yeah, but not terribly. Right. Well, good. And uh, I know you're very active uh, in your church. So, mm -hmm. um, what role does your faith play sure. in your life, and that has that helped to steer you throughout your career? Yeah. And let me take one step back. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're, you know, you're talking to your clients. Um, you know, a great way to avoid taxes is to give money away. That's and right. I actually had a, I was uh, working on a project with Ted Turner, which maybe some people are going to restart it. Absolutely. Seeing Ed, Ed Turner. Yes. And Ted, right. Ted's a wild guy. And he just said, uh, you know, Rich, he's a lot older than I am. He said, you know, if you ever get to the point where, you know, you're trying to manage your, your money, just remember that uh, either, you, you know, you can give it away or some stupid governor employee can, can just decide how to spend it. Um, uh -huh. And I'm not anti-taxes. Right. You know, right. I'm happy to pay taxes. But uh, just a good reminder, if you want to pay taxes, give money away. Yes. Give, give it to places where it's needed. Right. Right. That's a good way to do it. Um, uh, my my uh, uh, Christian faith. I, I am a uh, I, I'm a New Testament red letters kind of kind of Christian, yeah. and so my whole career, I, I you know I, my ideal model is a servant leader. Mm -hmm. uh, the least, uh, you know, put the least in the front row. You know, yeah. and focus on um, remembering that as a servant leader. Especially as a manager, uh, your your job is now to make other people famous. Mm -hmm. It's not their job to make you famous. Right. And uh, that has had a huge impact. So I've I've tried to um, uh, do my best to practice you know radical humility mm -hmm. and and, mm -hmm. and just you know remembering what uh, you know how the how the gospel approaches managing organizations and people and relationships and I think right. it's made a huge I think it's made a huge difference mm -hmm. yeah yeah I I can agree with that and it can it's you can lean on your faith and in, uh, in mm -hmm. times of you know desperation or despair and then you can when, when things are going well it's obviously you know, something that can guide you and provide that moral compass uh, yeah and I, I um, you, you know it's interesting uh, if you're a senior executive in a company and people know you go to church or you know mm -hmm. you practice some kind of faith, they often put it to the test. Right. And uh, I always thought that was great. That <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, if, if 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 the gospel can't handle the load of a few tests, I mean, you know, mm -hmm. come on. Right. But I thought that was it was an opportunity over my career to uh, to show people what I think is most important, uh, which is grace, mm -hmm. mercy. Love and you know I, I enjoy carrying those around and using those as liberally as possible. Right, and I, I think it made a big difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, and lastly, we'll wrap up with. I know you're um, very charitable uh, through through philanthropic needs that you have. So, are there any? Um, I know you're very involved at NKU. Yeah. Um, or is there any particular causes or um, you know charities that mm -hmm. you? Support and, and if so, what are some of the reasons why you feel led to, to give back? Yeah, I think where Lisa and I are very uh, always been focused on basic human needs, mm -hmm. and we would include education as that. Um, so yeah, I was on the board of the free store for many years. Involved with the free store, a number of 
um, you know, Christian relief organizations mm -hmm. uh, here and, and internationally. Uh, and in, in recent years, I'm just so committed to understand, I understand the power of education right. and making sure that it's obtainable. Public support for education has been declining for some time mm -hmm. and appears that will continue. Right. So that, you know, recently we just put money into a, a matching scholarship fund at NKU. First generation, mm -hmm. you have to be a first generation college student, as yeah. we were. Right. Uh, and then you have to be of need, uh, but, but also look like you're somebody that if somebody could close these gaps, you're going to succeed. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to take uh, people who are most at risk and somehow almost ensure that they're going to make it through yeah. and find opportunity. Right. So I've been working on that a lot the last couple of years. So a lot of, lot of public education, a lot of basic human needs, things like that. Uh, you know, uh, funny is we have a son who's a high school teacher and an artist and, and his wife plays in a band and I love the arts. Mm -hmm. We've not been big arts investors. Yeah, um, right. Just because um, I figure they can sell a sponsorship to Bud or something else. <laughs> um, sure. So we tend to lean toward, like I said, basic human needs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, great. Well, and, and obviously, the church reminds us that you yeah. know, we could use some help too. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Well, obviously, the local community here is very thankful for you know what you what you've done and you know the causes you've supported. See, it's a pretty generous community. Mm-hmm. Well, good. So, Rich, I appreciate you sitting down with me today and, and taking the time out of your schedule uh, to meet. And um, I think that you're a great person to look to here locally. A great, loved your story um, of success and you know fighting through perseverance and getting your degree, and then um, you know taking on that risk and being entrepreneurial throughout your career. So, yeah, appreciate your time. Yeah, today. thanks for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. How are fighting health? people to listen to them uh, what's it like the, do you push them out uh, and then re-push or what do you do? yeah so I've uh, 